Episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Today I have a very special guest. I have TV director and editor Vera Drew with me today to talk about Mary Magdalene and uh, the appearances that she makes in the Bible. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Snoopy. I love the show so much. This is like a huge honor. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you're involved with and how faith plays a part in your life? Sure. I was, um, I was raised Catholic and I, I really did like try to make it work as a kid. <laughs> like it really <laughs> resonated with me. Like I loved the music at church, like the rituals, like always confused me, but like I found them very like mysterious and compelling, but the message was very hateful. I mean, like I was going to church during a time where like it seemed like the Catholic church was like primarily focused with like anti-choice arguments, anti-gay arguments and anti-Muslim arguments. So it's like, and I knew at that point that I was probably, I don't think I knew I was trans, but I knew there was something a little not straight and cishet about (laughs) me. (laughs) Um, So it just didn't really gel. And I got a whole angry atheist phase after that. And, um, but I was still like very fixated on Christianity, like in, and I think I've heard you talk about this on the show before. Like I was like angry at God, but like so insistent that I didn't believe in them. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Super relatable. Um, so yeah, that, and that kind of followed me into my twenties and I was, became very nihilistic and I definitely don't think that like atheism leads to nihilism, but it, I was already kind of just in a, like I was a deeply miserable person and like, didn't really have any love in my life, no ability to let love in and had a longing that like, I couldn't really put my finger on. And it was both my gender identity and my spirituality. And like, I think as a result of that, my like early transition coincided a lot with my spiritual life expanding like I really got into Gnosticism and like old like Egyptian hermetics and just like really wacky shit Uh, (laughs) and um it it kind of got me really fixated on Mary Magdalene because she is like holds a lot of importance both in Gnostic circles and like pagan circles and stuff and it kind of inadvertently led me back to Jesus. Like I heavily resisted it. Like I just did not want it because it was this like thing that was used to hurt me and still is used to hurt a lot of people like me, but I just couldn't, I would think about him and I'd start crying. And like, I, I kind of just had to accept the fact that like, that was something I needed to explore as a part of my spiritual life too. Mm. Um, and it's still very much like an ongoing journey for me. I don't, I have a very tough time calling myself Christian, um, but I do have a deep love for uh, Jesus and for just the, the story. That's awesome. I mean, there's so many people in the world that 
struggle with their faith. They struggle to love God. They struggle to um, connect with Jesus. And then there are others who are so drawn, are so compelled that they have to struggle not to love yeah. Jesus. And and what a what a bizarre struggle that is. But this is a, a product, I think, of living in this intensely secular, godless kind of society that we live in that encourages people to put that sort of thing aside uh, in the name of all of these other idols that are here that uh, that we all love to worship so much. Most of them involve money. Um, but thank you for suggesting this text because it, it's something that I hadn't encountered and um, something that I don't think I would have had you not brought it up and um, sent me this copy. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, Mary Magdalene is probably one of the more uh, widely misunderstood people in the Bible. It's been uh, it's been told that she was a, a prostitute or a reformed prostitute, which she wasn't by most people's approximations or by any historical analysis. She wasn't a prostitute. Right. Uh, it was posited at one point that she was Jesus's wife, which she also wasn't. I don't think Jesus ever even had sex, let alone got married. Um, so she's been used as like propped up as this kind of like um, – this story of redemption, like the horror yeah. that's been that's been reformed, and um, that's wrong. And it's so weird because that actually can, th- that a misunderstanding, that misconception persists to this day. Even though the Catholic Church, who were the ones that started all of this nonsense uh, in the sixth <laughs> century, uh, struck all of it from any official uh, text or, or writings or sermons or anything that they, they had struck all of it in the, the 1960s, which they probably should have done much earlier than that. Right. But um, do, do you remember hearing that growing up that, that she was a, she was a prostitute? That's, I mean, that was, that was my understanding of her for most of my life. And, and it's funny because I think, you know, I, I, I don't really, I don't really remember this in the context of like when I was a kid, but when I look back on like my experience as a kid, like I remember a lot of the um, women at my church really like, like holding Magdalene very, very sacred. Um, Like almost in the way that a lot of Catholics, you know, hold the blessed Virgin sacred. And, Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of, it was mired by this either reformed prostitute or, or reformed sex worker angle or, or like, like you said, like Jesus's wife, which there's like long essays that, suggest there's like biblical proof that they're married like that the oil she anointed him with like when she washed his feet but we're not even entirely sure that the woman that washed his feet was the same mary so it's like but i think it really just speaks to in general how society views women and femmes it's like you know you're either a whore or a redeemed whore or you're this like perfect (laughs) blessed, like holy untouched, like virgin vessel of like life. And she, I don't think she's either of those. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, sorry to to answer your very simple question. I was 1000% brought up thinking that she was a reformed sex worker. No, uh, it, it, 
this is how complicated of a topic this is because um, because, and we've talked about this a number of times on the show before, because the Bible has been um, retranslated and reassembled um, and um, built in a certain way by a certain culture, we do have a lot to analyze here. There's a lot that we can read into, mm-hmm. and there's a lot that we can assume was probably at some point snipped because they don't they didn't like the way it fit into the narrative that they were building. It doesn't mean necessarily I'm saying that everything that's been cut out of the Bible is uh, is and should be canon. Um, but there are moments where it would, I think, behoove us to accept that there are misconceptions um, that may have been built into the, uh, the the Bible as it's been as it's been translated and established as a canonical text. It's it's weird to me because and we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about today um, John twenty and Matthew twenty eight and John twenty, which presents a conversation between Mary Magdalene and Jesus that is very intimate, very personal. That I think reflects their tr- the true nature of their relationship, which is like. Um, a deep friendship, an abiding friendship. There's a love there, but I, I really don't think it's a romantic love. Yeah. I, it, it feels like she um, she followed everywhere that the apostles and Jesus went. She was essentially one of the apostles. It just isn't written that way in the Bible. And, and there are some... Um, Places uh, that uh, were some essays that people have written in an analysis of the Bible, hermeneutics, I think is the word that people use, uh, that indicate that she was actually a, sort of like a financier of of Jesus and the apostles, that she mm-hmm. was fairly well off and she was contributing financially to this mission that Jesus was on to spread love and redemption in the world. And, and in that, although, you know, money is... Money is not holy. Um, money can be an idol. Money can be a distraction. In that, by supporting them in that way, she was absolutely essential in in what they were able to establish and and uh, what they were able to do in the world. So, and with that understanding of it, um, I mean, particularly for the people, because like I'm, I, I don't really think I, I, I'm very new agey, and like, and it's largely why I think I have a difficult time like calling myself a Christian is like, you know, like I make sigils. I do, you know, like I, I'm very, very witchy. Um, and I know a lot of like witchy people that, that do a lot of backflips, uh, like mental gymnastics to sort of make Jesus and Mary Magdalene like important through like this kind of like reading. I don't want to say reading too much into the text because I don't really think you can, because I think it, there's a lot of room to read into the text and that's why it's is the way it is. Um, (laughs) But when you really look at it, it's, it is simplicity. And if you think about it in that way, it's like, she didn't need to be his wife. (laughs) She didn't need to be a reformed prostitute. Like if, if she was like the financier of, of the disciples, like that's, a very important role. And for me, like, I think like what really drew me to her and why, you know, she's become such a heavy part of like my love and connection to Jesus is like, you know, either way with, with wherever you arrive at like what her role is and who she is in the Bible, it's like the idea of a, of a woman who was divine enough 
to be the first one at the tomb <laughs> of, of essentially a demigod's resurrection and then is written off as nothing more than a reformed prostitute. And like this idea of actual self and then the false conception that people have of your identity is just a very queer experience and is all too familiar to me. You know, I spent, I spent 28 years being told I was male while knowing deep down that the entire time that I was a gorgeous goth girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it just like, to me, that is like, that's what's so beautiful about, about her story and her position in this world. There's, um, there is a narrative that, I, and, and again, I, I try to leave my, myself open, like try to leave my mind and my heart open to, to different understandings of why things might have shook out the way that they shook out when it comes to the Bible or when it comes to, um, you know, Catholic teaching or things like that. But there is a narrative there that this notion of Mary Magdalene having been a prostitute, while it seems like it was probably at its heart, just a misinterpretation of the scripture by a Pope, uh, mm. you know, a Pope, mind you, but, um, <laughs> it, it, it has been kind of assumed that that had something to do with this sort of inherent misogyny in, um, in various churches over time. I'm, I'm not sure that it's essentially all that, but I do think that there's definitely an element of women being, as we see in different books in the Bible, women being, uh, essentially told that they're not as important. Right. And, um, and, you know, going back to, I, I think I mentioned her in the last episode that I did, but in the book of Marjorie Kemp, who was like this British mystic who um, had these insanely charismatic experiences uh, where she experienced the biblical stories. She, she spoke with God. She, this was a woman who essentially walked around crying and wailing all day long for her entire life. Uh, which sounds like an interesting way to be. I mean, I've had seasons of my life like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I relate. I relate very thoroughly to that. <laughs> but she has been this, Mary Magdalene has been this kind of figurehead for um, for women in the church um, throughout history. I mean, Marjorie, the book of Marjorie Kemp is widely understood to be the first autobiography. I mean, she didn't write it, she dictated it to a scribe, but um, she has this in chapter 81, and I don't know why I'm touching on this before we get into the text, but I just figured we would. Chapter 81, uh, when our Lord was buried, our lady fell down in a swoon as she would have come from the grave. And St. John took her up in, in his arms and Mary Magdalene went to the other side to support and comfort our lady as much as they could. Then the said creature, desiring to remain still by the grave of our Lord, mourned, wept, and sorrowed with loud crying for the tenderness and compassion that she had had she had of our Lord's death and many mournful desires that God put into her mind at that time. So like we're seeing all the way back to this time that, um, that Mary Magdalene was this figure had a very important, uh, and rightfully so, uh, respected person, uh, yeah. throughout, you know, Christian history. I think that's the one thing is like, that you, they really just can't be denied is like at the very least she was, deeply important to early Christians and in like early Christian tradition. I, th I think like there's something there to be explored and it's obviously just compelling because I think there is like a mystery to it. So of course you're going to latch onto that. And yeah. Anytime that we don't know, we don't know what we don't know in addition to what we know that we don't know. Um, yeah. 
And so, ah, that sounded really incoherent, didn't it? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I get, but I get what exa- exactly what you mean. And it's, yeah, I think it's like why, I, like my, my faith in my spirituality often feels like a struggle <laughs> um, because I am very left-brained and very analytical and like try to make an equation out of everything, even though I'm a creative person, but like, I simultaneously love a good mystery, but also want all the answers right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So uh, let's get to the Bible first. Um, Let's, let's start with John 20 and then we'll move on to um, Matthew 28. These are going to be telling essentially parts of the same event. And as we can see in, in a lot of the gospels, we get different accounts of what happened not that they directly contradict each other in, in its like core meaning or in the actual event that happens, but the way that it unfolds is told very differently. So um, John 20, verse 1, um, this is the resurrection. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. So you're right when you said earlier, Mary Magdalene was the first one there. Yeah. Um, While the apostles were present um, during the the crucifixion and and as were Mary Magdalene and Mary Jesus's mother and and a, a bunch of other folks that were followers I mean the notion that Jesus just had this like small group of people following him at all times was not is not accurate at all that he was a very popular guy there's a reason why they um that people wanted him killed people in positions of power wanted him killed because he was viewed as a threat because of how popular he was and because of how radical the message that he was spreading was but uh this the note about the linen cloths reminded me of the um disputed but somewhat accepted in the christian church uh shroud of turin yes uh, <laughs> where can't... are we at with that is that is it <laughs> is it been discounted completely or is Honestly, it still considered a... I don't know because I thought that it had been like discredited or that they'd found some evidence that it might have been um, manufactured. But mm-hmm. I was just watching, uh, thanks to Ash from Boys Bible Study, I have been watching all of these Christian movies lately. <laughs> and there was one from like five years ago or uh, five or eight years ago. And, and it was saying... And and there was a there was a shroud that he was wearing, and now people don't even believe that it was real, and so like the assumption was that like only sinners or only heretics 
um, only the blasphemous of the people that are saying that it wasn't real and, and that, but again, this might also like boil down to the like fossil argument where people are saying that, you know, God put fossils on the earth or scientists put fossils on the earth to discredit the, uh, the, the young earth creation <laughs> belief. Um, Sorry, so I Mark. guess it's kind of not worth going into. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, that is immediately where my mind went to. I also just think it's so, I mean, both in this case and Matthew, it's like the resurrection and like, like showing up to the empty tomb to me is such like a pivotal part of Christianity and the fact that it always comes at the end of these really long books, <laughs> it almost feels like it's like, Oh no, like, like I want, like I hang on every word because it's just like, I don't know. It's like saved. So it's like feel kind of does to a certain extent feel like it's kind of all crammed at the end. Um, and it's so much of the story just to me is about the real resurrection. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it absolutely does. It's the most, the most important thing that happened in this story is not just that Jesus did these incredible things while he was on earth, performed all these miracles and, and inspired love uh, in all of these people, but that he sacrificed himself to be killed and then actually rose from the dead. That's, that's the, the linchpin of the whole story, right? right? So it does feel weird sometimes that these bits about the resurrection are like shoehorned in at the end of what they'll take their time with all of these other portions of the story. And this portion seems to get kind of, um, gloss, not glossed over, but they, they rush through it. Like there isn't something very important to, to discuss here. <laughs> I think, I think, um, John does a decent job with it. Um, Matthew rushes right through it. Yeah. I think Mark's version of it is a little more, um, a little more expounded. There's a little bit more text there. Um, but I mean, it's a fascinating thing because um, Jesus comes back and the first one he talks to, according to John, is Mary Magdalene. Um, in uh, chapter 20, verse 11, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Everybody calls women woman in the Bible, <laughs> and it always cracks me up. Uh, I love it. I, w I really hope if I'm ever visited by an angel, that is how I'm addressed. <laughs> <laughs> I pray. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we would hope, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I did hear someone argue that the reason why holy women in the Bible are addressed as woman or that women who are um, encountering a spiritual presence are addressed as woman is that they are recalling the original woman, Eve. Mm. And it's been said that like Mary, the mother of Jesus, was like the second Eve uh, and that Jesus was the second Adam, although that that throws all kinds of weird uh, concepts into into play there. But um, anyway, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. So she's so distraught. She's crying so much that she sees 
the person who was buried in the tomb that she she knows is missing that isn't there, she sees him with her own eyes and she goes, who's that dude? That's so, okay, so that is so interesting because like my entire life, my understanding of of this is that there was something about Jesus when he came back that looked very different. Um, and like, it's always been very interesting to me that the, like the Bible doesn't say why, but like, I, I think it's that the interpretation that it was like grief that like blinded her from who he really was is so like, that is just so much more moving. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah. Like instead of that, he had, had just grown a mustache that was like longer. Yeah. And so- <laughs> I mean, like I, I'm a, I'm a big massive nerd. And like part of the reason why I do love the Bible is because it is like a big weird graphic novel. Sometimes <laughs> I think there is a part of me that does like it. Like, Oh yeah. Jesus came back as some sort of like cosmic entity that you couldn't really fully grasp who he was. But but yeah, or or he just had a cool mustache. Yeah, or yeah, Clark Kent glasses or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so, it, uh, sorry, verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Like he doesn't know. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which is a rabbi, basically, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So we'll pause here in John, because... I want to visit this in um, Matthew as well, because it's told a little bit, just slightly differently. In um, Matthew 28, the resurrection says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the, day, uh, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. So how this plays out is a little bit differently here, right? It's not that Mary is here first and sees an empty tomb. They actually see first the angel come down and there's an earthquake. So it's almost like the resurrection happens in real time in this. Yeah. Uh, in this portion, but it's not like a visual thing. You don't see Jesus rising. He's just been moved. He moves from that place to where he will meet his followers in Galilee. Well, and it's so interesting too, because it's like, we're like you said, like we're watching the resurrection potentially happen in real time here. But then in John, it's like, he's like making a point of saying like, 
I haven't ascended yet. Like I, I don't was hug me. <laughs> yeah, don't like, hug me. <laughs> it's so, I don't know. It's so interesting to be like, what process was happening here? That like, like it's, I don't know. It's, I think it really speaks to like the mystery of it too. It's really cool. Yeah, because there's there's a section where he, when he does interact with the um, apostles and his followers, they are able to touch him. Um, but in this section, or at least in the, in, in John 20, Jesus is saying, don't cling to me because I'm not, I haven't been brought up yet. So that implies like Jesus was in this sort of like flux state where he's kind of like a, a ghost or, um, sort of like a non-physical entity or something like that. I guess. I mean, I, it's, it's so, I don't know if this is something that I just made up. I, I have a vague memory and not that this is like definitely not canonical or true on any level, but I have a vague memory of uh, a Sunday school teacher telling us that he descended to hell before returning to earth and then ascended to heaven. So like that, that order we're hearing in, is it the Nicene Creed or whatever? Um, yeah. Is referring specifically to that. Um, but again, it's like, I think that distinction can only really, I think that can only, you can really only draw that conclusion if you're looking at the different interpretations of the text. Cause I don't think there's really anything to suggest that. The, the, uh, the, the apostles Creed, the Nicene creator, the apostles Creed, used to, when I, I remember hearing that when I was growing up, but I, I, having looked up that prayer now, and maybe the the church changed it or something, but I'm not seeing that. Uh, oh, oh, okay, no, no, I see it here. Hang on, let me see. Okay. Um, because like, did they change this? How did you change the Apostles' like Creed? Man, yeah, or like this is a Mandela effect <laughs> thing where we both remember one version of Christianity. <laughs> um, so, but that. And, and maybe we should have touched on other books where this happened, right? But this notion that he did descend into hell first isn't touched on here. It's not really, it's not really brought up. It's just like he, the earthquake happens and he like pops up. He literally, like the first thing he says in Matthew where he comes back is greetings. Yeah. <laughs> greetings with an exclamation point. Like, not really guys? the candor of somebody that just slayed the devil in hell. <laughs> Uh, yeah. What's up guys? How you, how you been? <laughs> you like my new mustache? <laughs> uh, so Jesus met them and sorry, jumping back into Matthew 28 <laughs> verse nine and behold, Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet. So now they can grab him mm-hmm. and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Um, so Matthew kind of skips over the conversation that um, that Mary has with Jesus. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it doesn't to me it doesn't feel. I mean, I, I think there are like a couple different interpretations of the same events obviously happen happening here, but I almost feel, and this is not to suggest that like you know Matthew was misogynist to this part. It's just I think it's just the story spoke to him on probably a different level, like it still leaves the space for that conversation with Mary, in my opinion, like it just is focusing on 
different details. Well, and as we mentioned, like it, it goes through a little bit quicker um, than John does with that that particular portion. Not to mention, Mary is alone in John twenty, and in Matthew twenty, she's not. So that's interesting. I was just going to pop into my easy read uh, in the voice, the voice version, and see what um, how this transpires in that translation. Nope, it's about the same. So rather than Mary talking to Jesus, just like in the ESV, Mary talks to a messenger of the Lord, to an angel, mm-hmm. which I think is part of why once we finally get to the gospel of Mary Magdalene, why there are doubts among the apostles, because some of them say it's not possible. You know, She wouldn't have had this conversation with Jesus. That would put her above us. That would put her above us men. Right. Um, and that, and that could speak to, it feels, it feels so weird to call it misogyny to me. Cause it's just like, it's just, it was just a completely different world. Like it's, it's obviously like I can put a moral judgment on like women and men should have been equal, but like, <laughs> I mean, I almost see it more as like an insecurity thing. I mean, we'll get, we'll get to it once we get into the, the gospel of Mary, Mary, but, um, but that could speak to that insecurity could speak to why there isn't, we're not seeing much, as much of it in, in Matthew. But to me in Matthew, it really does just feel like this is just a, an abridged version of, of the resurrection. Like he was just focusing on different things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, why don't we just, yeah. Why don't we just go to the gospel of Mary Magdalene? Because it in itself is an abridged version because it's not a complete text. Um, these are scrolls that were found um, that were missing pieces. And, um, you know, you and I kind of talked earlier about how there's there's a good chance that the reason why this didn't get included isn't because there's some sort of heresy going on here, but because it's so incomplete that there just isn't really a way to construct a coherent um, a coherent narrative out of what's here. Yeah, I think I think it's like I think it's the the text leaves a lot up to interpretation, which is like largely why I like it. But it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like this was excluded for the from the Bible for the same reason that like the book of Enoch was probably excluded from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, you the know? gospel of Ju- Judas Iscariot or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, like it's not I don't know. I think the most scandalous thing about it is like it really does place Mary, I think not in a higher, it, it doesn't place her in a higher position than the other disciples. I think it just makes her more of an official disciple. That's it exactly. I think is that the the um, the pressing in of a woman as one of the disciples is a threatening uh, a, th- a threatening thing. I think to the narrative of the way that we've accepted this story. So, um, unfortunately, in this translation. The first six pages are missing. So pages one through six, and and if you want to pick up this book, it's called The Gospel of Mary of Magdala, Jesus and the First Woman Apostle by Karen L. King. Uh, and it is super fascinating. Uh, it's definitely something that I would recommend anybody who, um, you know, feels even kind of studious about the Bible uh, to get into, to to read into it. It, it seems to me more... Um, grounded than some yeah. of the other 
Gnostic texts that I've read, it seems to me, unlike um, unlike something like the uh, the Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus Christ, which is almost like at points kind of like silly, right. uh, it, it <laughs> yeah. feels very serious and it feels very honest, although it does feel in a way um, Eastern kind of metaphysical, um, uh, has these like vaguely Buddhist kind of concepts that are being introduced. That, um, that again, I think might challenge our established um, order of things. So in verse 2, the nature of matter, sorry, chapter 2, the nature of matter, it just starts with an, an ellipsis. It says, will matter then be utterly destroyed or not? The Savior replied, every nature, every modeled form, every creature exists in and with each other. They will dissolve again into their own proper root. For the nature of matter is dissolved into what belongs to its nature. Anyone with two ears able to hear should listen. So yeah, it starts with like really heavy stuff. (laughs) It's just like immediately like speaking about like the nature of the universe and how matter works. Um, Like I can't, it's so hard to picture this being in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) I think if there were a little more context, it would be helpful because I think the concept of returning to your proper root is this like ashes into ashes and dust into dust concept that we do see elsewhere in the Bible. It's just the way that it's described here is so far out. You know, it's, um, it's really cool. And, and the, the next chapter kind of jumps right into something completely different. Like they, they shift gears really quickly. Um, in chapter three, the nature of sin and the good. Then Peter said to him, so we have the appearance of Peter here. Then Peter said to him, him being Jesus, you have been explaining every topic to us. Tell us one other thing. What is the sin of the world? The Savior replied, there is no such thing as sin. Rather, you yourselves are what produces sin when you act in accordance with the nature of adultery, which is called sin. For this reason, the good came uh, came among you, pursuing the good, which belongs to every nature. It will set it within its root. Um, There's a lot going on there. I love it so much though. It's, it is like, because to me, and it, it, it I, th- I think the reason this spoke to me so much, particularly at the point in my life when I read it, like, cause I was getting really, really into Gnosticism, but the thing that I always kind of had a problem with about Gnosticism is it's extreme understanding of, and this is not, you know, it's, that's such a broad term uh gnosticism but like a lot of thought that goes into like the fundamentalist idea of it is that like everything on earth is sin and evil and bad and that it's like to be rejected and that we should be just looking towards the light of heaven but to like this is like you know this is the spokesperson of the universe like basically saying what i i feel is so true that it's like it's in our Nate, like part of that root that we return to is our sin. It is in our nature and that his function on earth was to show us what to do with that. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. This, the, the line out of context sounds absolutely wrong, right? There is no such thing as sin. 
But in context, it makes perfect sense. He's not saying that sin is a standalone, that sin is this um, big, scary cloud. He's saying that sin is within each one of us. Right. That like we always and forever are going to sin and, um, and that there's really not anyone that's going to be able to avoid this. Uh, the good came among you, Jesus, pursuing the good, which belongs to every nature. So there is good and there is sin within each one of us. And that, yeah, the call here is to focus on that good, to, to try and to strive towards that good um, rather than wallowing in our sin. Yeah. And I need that. I personally need that permission because my, you know, I, I, I really loved the, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but everybody calls him the Eve six guy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I love uh, That's my friend, Max Collins. Uh, um, I, I love what he said in his episode you guys did. Cause he, he specifically mentioned like that he still fears like damnation. And that is a huge struggle for me is I still, I still connect a lot of pain and rejection with Christianity. And um, to me, I don't know. I need that permission to know that I'm an imperfect being and that it is that I'm an imperfect being by design <laughs> that like, it's not a mistake like sin isn't actually a mistake. Like that's the whole test of why we're here in this like cosmic car wash <laughs> called yeah. planet earth. If we were perfect, we would be Jesus and yeah. we're not perfect. So the reason why Jesus came down here in the first place was to be able to absolve people of their sins through the sacrifice that he made and this is central, this is core to Christian belief, that the sacrifice that he made was an atonement for the sins of people so that if they confess and if they believe, then they can be saved. So it's not like a go ahead, do whatever you want, go sin, uh, sin as much as you want to, it's all good. It's more like don't think that because you sin one time that you're going to be damned forever to the to the pit of, of fire, but more that your redemption is ongoing, that your life is continual, that you, as long as you live, will make mistakes and sin against God, and that it doesn't spell your eternal demise. It, it means that you're a human being and that you have work to do like we all have work to do. Yeah. Um, this next section is really interesting, so we'll get into verse 7 here. Then he continued, he said, this is why you get sick and die, because you love what deceives you. Anyone who thinks should consider these matters. Matter gave birth to a passion, which has no image because it derives from what is contrary to nature. A disturbing confusion then occurred in the whole body. That is why I told you, become content at heart while also remaining discontent and disobedient. Indeed, become contented and agreeable only in the presence of that other image of nature. Anyone with two ears capable of hearing should listen. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of um, implications of what's being said here. I, I think what he's saying is don't become content in your sin. Don't become content in your body, in your physical presence. Um, only become contented and agreeable in the presence of that other image. The other image is 
image is uh, capital I here. Um, this is only become contented in the presence of God, in the presence of the other image of nature. Um, as we were made in the image of God, then we need to focus on that image, right? Or how do you read it? That That is my understanding of it. I think it also... I think it also kind of speaks to what I was saying before, just about Gnosticism in general is like, I think there's an extreme um, there's, you know, there's this, this extreme idea of like rejecting everything that is earthly. Um, And I think this is him like really just doubling down on that. Like, no, it's, this is like humanity. It's, it's all created with intention so that you know how to act in the image of God and that he embodied it. And I think it just, just continuing about just like what, what our nature is and not becoming too attached to that nature. And, you know, because we're souls having a body experience and not the other way around. Um, Oh, I love how you put that. That's awesome. I definitely am probably stealing it from somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't know the difference, so you didn't have to. (laughs) I have a low (laughs) self-esteem. The, uh, the, the placement of the chronologically, the placement of this text seems to be after or around the time of the great commission. Yeah. Um, because in the next chapter, which is titled the savior's farewell, he sort of gives his last, Jesus gives his last goodbye. And then the whole, the whole next sections are, um, the, the apostles kind of like blubbering and weeping and Mary Magdalene comforting them, which I found really funny. It's like her, her little motherly activity there for all of them. But uh, in chapter four, it says, when the blessed one had said these things, he greeted them all, peace be with you. He said, acquire my peace within yourselves. Be on your guard so that no one deceives you by saying, look over here or look over there. For the child of true humanity exists within you. Follow it. Those who search for it will find it. Go then, preach the good news about the realm. Do not lay down any rule beyond what I determine for you nor promulgate law like the lawgiver, or else you might be dominated by it. I mean, that is like, I mean, I I, I don't want to focus on the negative too much, but I mean, I think it's just obvious that like Christ's message has just been really corrupted and like, and it's largely because of how secular, but also just nihilistic our world is that like, you know, you immediately, like, it's, it's again, like largely why I'm, I have an aversion, aversion towards the label of Christianity, but like, I feel like this fully is acknowledging that like the only thing pure here is the word of God and what Jesus said, that anything that comes after, even if it's the truth, if it's an expansion on Jesus's truth, it's still coming from a human being. So it can't be taken as completely the word of God, especially if it's a law that's laid down. Um, like Jesus is explicitly saying here, no remixes. Do not, <laughs> do not mess with my original track. Okay. Like this, what I told you was exactly what I meant to say. And if you try to take this further, or if you try to change it in any way, 
you, you know, be warned. <laughs> you're not going to be spreading the right word if you're going to try to expound on what I already have to say, which I guess would probably, um, there's, depending on how Protestant you are or how Catholic you are or how Mormon you are or whatever, you might take in a different way, right? Right, yeah. I mean, I think I take it as, and like I, you know, the 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 laws that followed, you know, after Jesus' death and like, a lot of the, um, I, I personally feel a lot of shame was brought to Christianity after Jesus to, uh, was resurrected and left us again. Um, like I, I think it's speaking to that. And like, there's also the thing in this, in this, um, chapter that really sticks out to me is the, um, for the child of true humanity exists within you follow it. Those who search for it, we'll find it. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that, and, and I think that's specifically speaking to like child of humanity equals son of man, in yeah. my opinion. And I think that's the, what the analysis of this, the, the full analysis of this kind of arrives at too. Um, and to me that, that just rings really true because I really do feel that God flows in and out of us, that it's not something we need to, that if we do search for it, we will find it. It's actually very easy. It's just recognizing that you need to look inward and, and outward, but that it, it exists within you to unlock this connection. And that's something that Jesus already, you know, in the canonical text that we have, Jesus says something like, seek and you will find, he, you know, um, the door will open for you. You just have to try. Uh, and and this, again, is the core, I think, one of the core Christian beliefs, too, is that your salvation is not hinged upon your perfection. Um, it is hinged upon your willingness to seek, your willingness to believe um, and to try, try, literally just try. <laughs> How yeah. hard is that? <laughs> um, so, into chapter five, Mary uh, comforts the other disciple. The other disciples, by the way, is the way this is written. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> twist uh, the knife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they were distressed and wept greatly. How are we going to go out to the rest of the world to announce the good news about the realm of the child of true humanity? They said, "If they did not spare him, how will they spare us?" Then Mary stood up. She greeted them all, addressed her brothers and sisters. Sisters, yep. plural. So there's other women there too. Do not weep and be distressed, nor let your hearts be irresolute. For his grace will be with you all and will shelter you. Rather, we should praise his greatness. For he has prepared us and made us true human beings. When Mary had said these things, she turned their heart toward the good. And they began to debate about the words of the Savior. <sighs> cool. So she's preaching. She gets up and preaches. Yeah. And I love it too, because, you know, if you, th if you put this in the context of, of John, you know, she needed to be reassured as well. I mean, she needed to be reassured that the identity of the person that was speaking to her was actually Christ. Um, so I think you can see this both as like a mother, like a mother comforting thing. Um, but it's also just, no, she is like an extension of the savior in this. Cause, cause all the disciples need reassuring reassurement too, that like the story isn't over just because Jesus was executed. And here Peter acknowledges 
the in chapter six, Peter acknowledges, uh, Peter said to Mary, sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than all other women. Tell us the words of the Savior that you remember, the things which you know that we don't because we haven't heard them. Mary responded, I will teach you about what is hidden from you. And she began to speak these words to them. So they they know that Jesus had conversations with her alone or had appeared to her in some way that she, that they hadn't been party to. And they're kind of um, ceding the floor to her, which you don't really see anywhere in the Bible as it's established that women are given, given grounds to say, tell us about what you know yeah. rather than what we know. Yeah, which, which I think, you know, could point to this being left out of the canon for, because this really does, I mean, I don't think it necessarily places her above the other disciples, but it, no. I think it also, I think it acknowledges something that like not a lot, of, that there isn't a lot of focus on in the dis- discussion of Jesus, which is like, you know, it was very radical for somebody who was preaching to even be like talking to women, <laughs> like let alone <laughs> holding them in some sort of disciple position. So, um, yeah, I don't know what my, where I was going with that, but, uh, no, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and in chapter seven, we see what is almost like to me, seems like a little bit of a mirroring of the conversation that, um, once, uh, Mary realizes who she's talking to, um, this mirroring of this conversation, just ever so slightly, um, in the vision and mind of chapter seven, she says, I saw the Lord in a vision and I said to him, Lord, I saw you today in a vision. So she sees him in a vision and says, I saw you in a vision, which uh, kind of confused me a little bit. Uh, he answered me, how wonderful you are for not wavering at seeing me. For where the mind is, there is the treasure. I said to him, so now, Lord, does a person who sees a vision see it with the soul or with the spirit? The Savior answered, a person does not see with the soul or with the spirit, rather the mind, which exists between these two, sees the vision, and that is what dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Yeah, like, what? No! No, what? What is it? (laughs) Uh, This is is like... um, it's so painful for this section to be ended that abruptly because the next three pages are missing. Um, uh, pages 11 through 14 are missing. So we don't really know, I guess, what Jesus was truly getting at, but establishing a connection that the mind is between the soul and the spirit um, is fascinating to me because I've always understood the spirit and the soul to essentially be the same thing. Um, that the soul is um, our essence, uh, what is truly within us. The mind, which can be influenced by, not just by the soul, but by outside elements. But here it's said that the mind and the soul and the spirit all exist within us and that the mind is an intermediary between those two things. Yeah, I, I have no idea what that means. I mean, like, I I like it because it's it's again acknowledging our earthly presence and that like we have brains and our brains are different from the soul. I say this all the time, like whenever I'm talking about like tarot or like any sort of like intuition stuff, it's like, I always think it's the mind that is like, if you're, if you're ever hearing like a lot of like shoulds in your head, like you should do this, you should do that. It's like, is that really, I don't, think that's your soul talking i think that's your mind like trying to put fire under your ass Um, (laughs) but yeah it's confusing to me because i would have always thought that those were the same 
that's the soul and the spirit were the same. But maybe it's referring to the Holy Spirit. I don't. That's that's the thing I was just going to ask: is is it maybe this is the soul is our own, although nothing is our own. The soul is ours specifically, and the mind is ours specifically, and the spirit is the Holy Spirit, which is God's and God moving within us and between us. Um, it's very complicated, and I'm not even going to start to say that I understand what's being brought to light here. Only that this is an, a ver- this is a very very fascinating um, uh, structure uh, within us that Jesus is 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 positing here. Like it's very cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we should skip just for the sake of I know we're we're pushing a little bit on time for the sake of um, brevity to jump to chapter ten where the disciples begin to dispute what Mary has said. There is a section here called the ascent of the soul. Um, but it's not, it's, it, it's, it gets it's a little, it gets a little confusing. Yeah. yeah Cause it, I think it's more of a conclusion of what we were just, just hearing. It does have one of my favorite just sentences ever though. <laughs> um, it, is, it. And it's, it's somebody talking to, I guess, a soul. Uh, they interrogated the soul. Where are you coming from, human killer? And where are you going, space conqueror? <laughs> um, which again, just uh, the graphic novel uh, side of me and <laughs> why I love the Bible. Space conqueror. Yeah, space conqueror. Uh, it should, I guess I should just read that that um, very, very long sentence right before that too, because this is, I think, the crux of what that mm. whole section is saying, that um, there is seven forms of the soul is essentially that the first form is darkness, the second is desire, the third is ignorance, the fourth is zeal for death, the fifth is the realm of the flesh, the sixth is the foolish wisdom of the flesh, and the seventh is the wisdom of the wrathful person. Oh, these are the seven powers of wrath. Uh, okay, so <laughs> skipping ahead, because I don't really know what to make of that, and I'm yeah. not sure. I think with pages 11 and 14, we might better understand yeah, uh, what's trying to be said here. But into chapter 10, the disciples dispute over Mary's, Mary's teaching. Andrew responded, addressing the brothers and sisters, say what you will about the things she has said, but I do not believe that the Savior said these things, for indeed these teachings are strange ideas. Strange is an understatement, Andrew. I think you're absolutely <laughs> right in saying yeah. that. Uh, Peter responded, bringing up similar concerns. He questioned them about the Savior. Did he then speak with a woman in private without our knowing about it? Are we to turn around and listen to her? Did he choose her over us? Then Mary wept and said to Peter, my brother, Peter, what are you imagining? Do you think that I have thought up these things by myself in my heart or that I'm telling lies about the Savior? And Levi answered, speaking to Peter, Peter, you have always been a wrathful person. Now I see you contending against the woman like the adversaries. For if the Savior made her worthy, who are you then for your part to reject her? Assuredly, the Savior's knowledge of her is completely reliable. That is why he loved her more than us. <laughs> I guess I take back of what I said about this positioning Mary above the other disciples. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Could not be further from the truth. Uh yeah, it, I mean, it, it, essentially that is positioning. He loved her more than us. Um, rather, we should be ashamed. We should clothe ourselves with the perfect human, acquire it for ourselves as he commanded us, 
and announce the good news, not laying down any other rule or law that differs from what the Savior said. After he said the, he had said these things, they started going out to teach and to preach the gospel according to Mary. And that's the entire text. That's yeah. all we get. It frustrates me how much of it is missing because I this this was my this was my return back to what I like my strong spiritual foundation. Uh, and there's a couple, there's a couple um, things from the analysis because this book, it, if, if you're interested in it at all, like it's, there's PDFs online everywhere. Like it's the analysis really makes it for me because again, there's just so much to talk about because so much of it is missing. Um, <laughs> but uh, the author points out that this text really positions Jesus as a teacher and a mediator of divine revelation in a way that um, really speaks to me because I think largely why I returned to like wanting to even hear about Jesus was because when I really divorced myself from everything, I, literally everything I was taught about him and actually think about him as a person like, you know, I'm, I'm a leftist. He like, I, I don't ever want to like politicize Jesus too much, but like we have a guy who was like an uneducated young mother of a racially oppressed group. He spent his entire time on earth empowering marginalized people. Um, I just can't think of a better teacher like for, <laughs> for like where we're at as a society. Um, and I think this, text really positions him in that way that definitely is in the canonical books as well, but um, it feels very focused in that way for me. And the message of love that Jesus continues his entire ministry uh, is, is about love is something that we so often get mired in um, legalism and in uh, the minutia of what little rules that we see in the Bible um, and we lose sight of the forest for the trees, right? Mm -hmm. We um, focus so much on this minor sin, which we know sins occur. We know sins happen. We get focused on these minor sins and we stop loving people. And that is so far from what God intended for us. That's so far from what Jesus died for. It's, um, it's sad to see, but... The more we read the actual book, the more we engage with holy texts, and the more we learn about Jesus, the more likely we are, I think, to to live in the way that he's asked us to live, in the way that he lived. I mean, we're yeah. not all going to die virgins at 34, right? But um, <laughs> Some of us might, but and, and more power to you. <laughs> you probably lived a better life than me if you do. <laughs> yeah, 1,000%. You're probably much happier. <laughs> Um, wow. Yeah. Um, this was a really awesome conversation. Thank you so much for, for coming on and, and for suggesting this. Thank this you. I'm, I, I'm so glad I worked up the nerve to even bring this up as an option. Cause I mean, I, I didn't want to disrupt the flow. Like, cause I, what I love about this podcast specifically is that you are focusing on canonical texts and you don't do you don't do like all the mental gymnastics of like 
Jesus was actually a trans man and stuff like that. You know, like, <laughs> that, like I see a lot from uh, LGBTQ plus Christians and like really, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like when you really do just focus on the word, it's, it's all there. You don't, you really don't. I mean, I think it's important to talk about this stuff and I, and I'm so glad we had this conversation because I can't go to church right now and I don't really get to hear people talk about Jesus that much um, anymore. But, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's all there in the text. It, I think stuff just gets complicated when we are clinging too much to, you know, the entrapments of the body and, and the world that we're, we're living in. Absolutely. And we lose sight, you know, it's so easy to lose sight. Um, and that's why Jesus has said, and will say throughout the Bible, uh, seek, seek, look, keep looking, keep learning. Um, you might not always be happy with what you find. There's plenty of parts of the Bible that still challenge me greatly. Then when I read them, I go, wow, I, I don't want to say that I disagree <laughs> because this is the word of God, but why, how? And it's up to us then to, to keep trying to learn and keep trying to understand it. It's part of the whole, I think it's part of the whole experience. You know, like I think, you know, I think it goes back to like not recognizing that we're not perfect and that if we were, we would, we would be the son of God. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think part of the process of faith and certainly my experience with it is I needed to reject it for a really long time too. Like I needed to really struggle with it. Um, and you know, again, the fact that it really, for me coincided with like my early transition and like really stripping away because I cut a bunch of people out of my life. I really like got down to the essence of like, who is Vera Drew? And when I asked that, Jesus popped back up in the picture. <laughs> um, but it, 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 it somehow made sense because again, it's like, I think, I think that struggle is part of the, is part of the journey and, and t is totally necessary. Cause otherwise you get too focused on like, like I know so many people that, that don't, I don't know so many people that haven't had that struggle, but I do know some people, particularly in my family that didn't really have that struggle and are very set in their ways in their understanding of faith, which I also don't think we should be, you know, I think, I think it's supposed to challenge us. Absolutely. It sh we should be questioning not the existence of God, but the meaning of the texts that are given to us, because this is a, a great mystery, uh, why this one particular set of books has, um, persisted why the belief in Jesus where other religions have come and gone and other religions predated Christianity uh, other beliefs uh, have come and gone but um, the the love of Jesus persists to this day uh, thousands of years later yeah. uh, it's, it's incredible uh, it really is well is there anything that um, that you want to plug any any projects or any social media or anything like that um, I'll qualify all of this with, uh, 
I was very, I was very good on this podcast. I did not want to say the F word once. I know people <laughs> have said it on it, but it was very important for me. I know I cursed a little bit, but uh, <laughs> wanted to run a clean show today. Uh, I'll just qualify all of what I'm about to say with: I get very not safe for work in both my art and my social media presence. But if that is not an issue to you, you can follow me at Vera Drew 22 on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm currently making, I'm in the process of finishing up my first feature film, which is called The People's Joker. Uh, it's an illegal comic book movie about being a trans woman working in comedy. It's a queer coming of age story set in the Batman universe. If that sounds remotely interesting to you, uh, follow me or visit thepeoplesjoker.com to learn more today. Awesome. That sounds fascinating. Well, thank you again, Vera. I, uh, I, have, you. A, I have a poem uh, today from Andrea Gibson from their book Pansy. Uh, the poem is called Love's Wait. My mother would say, my grandma only went to church for the brunch that followed at the Wachachi Diner where she'd order big breakfast number two with extra toast and stop for a banana split at the takeout window of the corner store on her way home. That's to say, she was the type to buy too much Halloween candy and forget to leave the light on for the trick-or-treaters. I watched her do that every year till her son Peter died. And then her daughter Barbara, too. And I suppose a mother can't lose two children and want to take a bite out of anything but God's invisible face. The last time I saw her, she was in a rocking chair, not rocking. The doctor said she had been refusing to eat for weeks. I know some people could watch someone like that die like that without deciding love is nothing but hunger for certain and unlivable grief. But I was not someone who could do that. And still, my love. And still, my love. Thanks, everybody. What did you tell me, Mary, when you were there so sweet and very full of field and stars you carried all of time? Oh, in heavens, when you looked at me, your eyes were like machinery, your hands were making artifacts in the corner of my mind. Monastery.